0: What's up, Salt? Man, it's a blessing to be here. I'm pumped to be here. I have fantastic friends. Um, yeah, it's funny. Um, I <laughs> went to the college ministry down in Louisiana. We call it the boot because uh, it kind of looks like a dirty sock when you look at it um, on, the, on the map. But, yeah, we call it the boot. Uh, I went to school out there. and I was part of a college ministry that a lot of these guys came up to Cincinnati with. Um, and I was on staff with Tim and Linz. Um, Linz is Tim's wife, if you haven't met her. And it was a blast. Um, yeah, they're the best. They're some of my favorite, um, some of my favorite humans. And so yeah, all of college is kind of funny because all of college, uh, they're some of my best friends now, but all of college, we were not friends. It's kind of crazy like looking back on it. there was no animosity. like I didn't think they were weird or anything. We just didn't cross like that kind of path. Uh, and so we stepped on to. Uh, staff together. Um, We were at a college ministry that's just like this one at a church that's just like Mercy Hill. Uh, It's called the chapel. Uh, Stepped on the staff with Linz, and we taught a couple classes, and it was dope. Um, Something I learned about Linz that first semester, when Linz starts to teach, the girl gets nervous, (laughs) and she starts to change colors. Uh, For real. She gets, like, buku red. Uh, That's a Louisiana word for you. But the thing about the thing about lens, it's like it's kind of scary. And I know some of y'all are like, "Is she just blushing?" Like, but I'm black. That's kind of a superpower I have. I don't have to worry about (laughs) blushing. But it wasn't just blushing. Lens was like changing colors, and she gets kind of splotchy. And I was like, "Should I like call somebody?" Um, But she she did fine. She was just a little nervous. She crushed the teaching session. It was great. And then Tim stepped on the staff the next semester, and at this point, um, my friendship with Tim Tim was entirely new. Uh, I didn't, like like I said, we were not friends prior to then. But before long, I was like, bro, where you been all my life? Uh, Yeah, he's one of my best friends. I love them a ton. Like I said, they're some of my favorite humans. Now, if you know anything at all about Tim, he's a loser. He is. Ruthless when it comes to the funnies, Uh, he's such a loser. Some advice I have for you, don't ever let Tim catch you slipping, because he will make you pay. Don't ever let him catch you doing anything embarrassing, because you'll be hearing it. Um, By a show of hands, in here, how many of y'all has Tim caught slipping? Two hands, there we go, two hands. All right, y'all, so guess what? I come from Louisiana bearing good news because Tim is so hard to get back, right? He's so competent at so many things, like he's so good at everything. He's a boss at Frisbee, he's great at soccer, he crushes it on the piano. Uh, He's even good at pickleball, like he can cook, he can clean, he don't make a make a scene. (laughs) Some people, but yeah, he's so so unembarrassable, right? But I got some good news, I caught Tim slipping. Uh, and so, I got a video that I want to show you guys. Um, this is for all the people in the crowd that raised their hands. Uh, this is for y'all. I asked Tim the simplest of questions. The simplest of questions, and he butchered it. So, enjoy, avocado. enjoy this. A-V-A-C-A-D-O. I asked Tim, Tim. A-V-A-C-A-D-O. avocado. avocado. A-V-A-C-A-D-O. Look at him, he's been. A-V-A-C-A-D-O. avocado. A-V-A-C-A-D-O. Someone raise your hand and show me, or someone raise your hand and tell me how to spell avocado. AVO. AVO, we got him. Yeah, yeah. and he said it so confidently, A-V-A-C-A-D-O. Uh, if y'all want the video, holler at me. I'll airdrop it to you afterwards. Um, all right, so... Listen, guys, we can be so competent, right, and so skilled at so many things, so talented, so hardworking um, when we put our minds to things we can accomplish so much, right? But in the text tonight, we're going back into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, like Tim said. We're going back into the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus tells us and he shows us that when it comes to the spiritual realm, things are just a little bit different. Uh, It's not a matter of how competent we are and how much we can do. It it doesn't work like that. Actually, in this text, when it comes to the spiritual realm, Jesus is going to teach us in this text that we are incompetent, that we cannot perform even the simplest of tasks. So there's a difference when it gets spiritual. Yeah, in the text, Jesus is going to show us in and of ourselves spiritually, we're incompetent, (laughs) utterly incompetent. So that's what we're going to be jumping into tonight. You guys can pick up the Bibles that are under your chairs. Uh, If you have the small one, we're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in page 473. If you got the bigger one, it'll be page 898. Uh, And yeah, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 17 through 48. And so for some context, this is a Sermon on the Mount, like you guys have been in. And there's probably great crowds, or there's great crowds there. There's probably thousands of people. All right. And like Tim was saying, this is the first sermon from Jesus Christ, the very first. And in this portion of the sermon that we're going to get into tonight, Jesus is coming in hot. He's going to bring up and address this spiritual competence question. He's going to bring up and address, are you good enough to stand before God as you are? And so, he's, again, he's talking to a crowd of Jews. Uh, this is God's chosen people, the chosen people of Israel. This, these are the Jews that he's talking to. And he's going to take the thing that's the most precious to the Jews and bring that to the table in order to address this concern. He's going to bring what's called the law and the prophets. All right. And so for them, uh, uh, you can kind of categorize it this way. The law and the prophets, it's the entirety of the Old Testament. That's what it's short for. Um, and it's cold uh, for it all. And so for the Jews, this was everything. The law, you can say first five books, um, and in there, you might be familiar with the Ten Commandments. They're in the law. Um, But really, there's like over 600 commandments that make up the law. And then the prophets is basically everything else. All right. And so, yeah, in the law, again, like I said, about 600 laws for them to follow. And again, he's bringing this to the Jews. This is everything to them. This is their bread and butter. They stake everything on the law and the prophets. And so this is what he's bringing to the table to address the spiritual competence question. So yes, he's coming in hot. He's coming in guns blazing, like Joe Breezy last year in the playoffs. Um, Not last week, but last year, last year in the playoffs. RIP. But so, okay, in, in this crowd, there's two kinds of people. That's it, two kinds of people in the crowd, those that were spiritually confident that they were, or those that were confident that they were spiritually competent, right? These were the 600 that looked, or these were the people that looked at the 600, the laws, and said, yeah, I got this, check, check, check. So you got one kind, and the second kind are those that are poor in spirit, like Tim was talking about a couple weeks ago. These are the people that look at the law, the 600, and say, There's no way. I can't do that. I can't walk in all of those. And so with these two types, I'm going to say, I'm going to propose that in this crowd tonight, there's still the two types of people that they were there in the big crowd at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to address the same, the very same questions. And so I'll pray, and then we'll jump into the first four verses of this portion of the sermon. God, thank you so much that you are God, that you are the creator, that you've created everything. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible, that we can read what you have communicated to man. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see your truth tonight. God, would you help us address the spiritual confidence uh, question and see where we stack up and see what you've done about that and what you will do. Have your way, Lord. Would I get out of the way? Would it be your words, your truth? your spirit moving through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so again, we will start off in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and I'll just read the first few verses. It'll be on the screen as well. And again, you gotta remember, Jesus is bringing the law and the prophets to the table to the Jews to answer this spiritual competence question. All right, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, You know, we're going to park the bus at this verse tonight, but look at this. Verse 20, Jesus Christ says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to think about that. Um, So, The Pharisees, these were the religious elite. These were the ones that aimed to keep every single law. They studied them. They were ingrained in them. They steeped in them. Um, The average Jewish male, by the time he was a teenager, he was uh, supposed to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And so you have this crowd, right, and they just got told by Jesus, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so just imagine the pressure that these Jews were feeling. For these Pharisees, again, they tried to keep them all. And not only did they try to keep them all, they, yeah, they had them memorized. And the same thing applies to us today. The same thing applies to you and to you. And to you and to me today, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Christ is getting at. And Jesus was there to tell them then, and I'm here to tell you now, it cannot be done. It is impossible to fulfill the law. And now, see, some of y'all are ambitious. Some of y'all are like, all right, bet. If I say you got to match the the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're going to be like, give me the list. Let me get to work. (laughs) But hold on, play. We got to pause. You got some memory to do. You got to memorize the first five books of the Bible. You better get to work, (laughs) right? And look, be careful with the text. Christ Jesus didn't say unless your righteousness matches that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, unless it exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, it has to be better. It has to be perfection. This is what God's word says. God's standard is not, does your good outweigh your bad? God's standard is, is there any sin whatsoever, any ounce of it, any of it at all? Yeah, with the 613, some ambitious people in the room would be like, give me the list. What if I nail 100? Well, what if I nail 450? That's more than two-thirds. Surely he'll let me in then, right? But what the word of God says, he says in James, hey, look, even if you do them all and you fail at one, God's word says you will be held accountable for them all. God's standard is perfection. And if you fail at one, you're disqualified from perfection. Just to take a step back. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. You go down the list real quick, you're out. You're done. That's what Christ is You're done. It's, it's a wrap. So Jesus is there to tell them that it's impossible to attain this righteousness on your own. It must be given to you. It's the only way. How else are you going to get it? And the good news here that Jesus says in verse 17 is he says, I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the righteousness that you that has your name on it that you can't do. And Jesus says, I came not only to fulfill it, to fulfill this righteousness, but also to give it. Um, so to the Jew... When it came to the simplest of tasks, this was it. It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. A guy named Martin Lord Jones says to fail to do this even for one second, to fail to love your, the Lord your God with 100% of your being, always uncompromisingly, to fail to do that for one second is to sin. But Jesus Christ, the word of God, we can change or turn to uh, 1 John, it'll be on the screen, or John. Uh, Jesus Christ, the word of God, this is him who came to fulfill the law. This is who he is. The Bible says that in the beginning was the word. This is Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. This is who came to fulfill the law. And without him was not anything made that was made. If you scoot down a little bit to uh, verse 14, it says, "In the word, Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father. The great, uncreated, eternally the Son of God, he became flesh. He was born of virgin birth. He lived a perfect life. He knew no sin. He fulfilled the law to the T." the Christ, the word of God. Jesus did that. He knew no sin. And if you turn to 2 Corinthians 5, do you know what God did with this Jesus who knew no sin? It says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Him that was perfect and sinless, that fulfilled the law. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so this righteousness is given. It has to be done for us. It has to be given to us. And sinless Jesus, he took our sin upon himself, died in our place, and rose from the grave, from the dead, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because, y'all, look, let's be real. If we're honest with ourselves for one second... We can take one quick little snapshot, look at our hearts, and see that these alls are absolutely impossible. We have hearts of stone. We can't do that. We're spiritually incompetent to love the Lord uncompromisingly 100% of the time. It can't be done. Spiritually, we can't even spell the word avocado. (laughs) Got him. Yeah. Yeah. We cannot perform the simplest of tasks spiritually. Yeah, this, this righteousness to enter into the kingdom has to be given for us, and good news, my friend, that's why I'm here today, that's why Jesus was given the Sermon on the Mount. This righteousness has to be given to us, and good news that in Christ it is. In Christ, this righteousness is given and given freely to us when we believe. Yeah, he came to fulfill the law, and that he did. But again, not only to fulfill the law and its righteousness, but also to give it. And there's always only two types. John one says it as well. It says that he came to his own people. Jesus came to his own. He was preaching to the Jews. He came to his own people and the Bible says his people didn't receive him. But look at this. It says that for those that did receive him, those that did believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now look, in America today, like in this day and age, if a kid wants to be adopted, he can't just like waltz up to a family and be like, yo, what's your name? The Browns? All right, cool, I'm a brown now, I'll bet. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. It takes initiative, it takes decision, it takes love, it takes doing all the things that are necessary legally to bring that about on the a, on a behalf of the one that's gonna be adopted. And if it's like that with man, how can we expect it to be anything different with the almighty God? For us to waltz up and say, like, I've done these four things of the law, like, let me in. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. It has to be given to us. Uh, Yeah, and it is. In Christ, It is. he came, he fulfilled the law. And whoever receives him, whoever believes in his name, he it is that's given the right to become a child of God. Then, when we're in Christ, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your imperfect 612. He sees Christ in his perfect 613. He sees Christ in him who has fulfilled the law. He sees him whose righteousness did exceed the law or the righteousness of the Pharisees. Yeah, when he looks at us when we're in Christ, he sees Christ who could do the simplest of tasks, who did love the Lord our God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength uncompromisingly. In Christ, he looks at us and he sees a child of God, beloved, safe, secure, at home, And as Christ shows us here in the rest of the text, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end at us just becoming children of God. Because as children, like Tim said, we're given a new heart. We're given a new appetite. We're given a new capacity to actually follow the Lord and actually walk with him, actually obey him. Uh, Ezekiel 36 shows another one of these promises that finds its fulfillment in Christ, He says, and I will give you, this is in Christ, I will give you a new heart. Ours are hearts of stone. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I, God Almighty, will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Christ, we're given this power. We're given power to live for God. We're given power to obey him. We're given power to believe. And we're given power to actually follow him. And in the rest of the passage, that's what Christ is going to be showing us. He's going to show us, look, once I've made you holy, my expectation is that you walk in his holiness. Follow me is what Christ says. And so for the rest of the passage, we'll go through six of these examples, but This is what Christ kind of does. He says, hey, look at the law and their tradition. He looks at the the standard that it was, and he says, you've heard this was a standard. But then Christ says, once I've made you holy, actually, I want you to walk in this standard. Because being made children of God is not a license to just do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. That's not how it works. Instead, the Bible says the exact opposite of that. It says, now we live for the king. Now we get to live life with the King. Yeah, the Bible says that we were bought with a price. Therefore what? Therefore we honor God with our body. Uh, And we strive for this holiness. Is that not what Paul says in Philippians three? When he's talking about this sanctification and being made like Jesus, he says not that I've attained it or that I've made it my own, but he says, but I strive to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus made me his own. We're already made holy, and this is the expectation that God has for us to walk in the power that He gives us to actually follow Him. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, right? Is that not what Ephesians says? For by grace you've been saved through faith, faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no man may boast. For we are His workmanship. Look at the progression. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's the logical progression. Walking with God in this way is the consequence of grace. And so for the rest of the text, we'll be looking at these six ways, six ways in particular that Jesus says, hey, look, you Jews, you've known this is a standard in the law that I've actually got for you to walk in this. And what he's doing here, what Christ is doing, is he's showing, look, the Lord is about this. The Lord is about what's going on in your heart. And he actually raises the bar. He says to them, this is a structure that we'll see six times. He says, you've heard this about the law, but I say to you this. And Christ says, furthermore, walk in this. And so it starts off with anger. This is verse or chapter 5, verse 21. And I'll read it. It says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Right? So you got the standard. You got the bar. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. We read this and we think, all right, sweet. (laughs) I can check that box. I haven't murdered anybody. Um, But then Jesus says, (laughs) verse 22, Jesus says, but I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Man, I don't know how it is in, Bat- or, uh, in Cincy, but in Baton Rouge, the drivers are crazy. They will literally drive you crazy. Um, it could be so frustrating for me, and I just think as I'm like pent up with all this anger, as long as I don't lash out, right, as long as I don't lash out at the guy that just cut me off, then I'm straight, Jesus says, but I say to you, even if you're angry inwardly in a way that is unholy, you're liable to judgment. He says, furthermore, when it comes to anger and when it comes to broken relationships, he says, furthermore, if you're coming to worship, right? Like if you're going to church and you got a gift to offer at the altar, what Jesus says is, hey, look, leave your gift there. If your brother is angry with you, leave it there. Go make things right and then come back and offer your gift. Uh, And then he scoots on over to lust. And Jesus says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Now, adultery can be likened to any kind of sexual sin or sexual immorality with anyone that's not your spouse, that's not the person you're married to. And man, that's already a high bar. But then Jesus steps in and Man, Jesus steps in and look, you know when someone really attractive walks by, in a matter of seconds, you can play out so many things in your heart and in your mind with that person. And you know it's wrong. But then you say, "Well, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't I didn't actually like physically do anything with them, so I'm all right." No, but then here's the Lord. <laughs> Jesus says, and, Verse 28, so he says in 27, you've heard that it said you shall not commit adultery, already a high bar. But Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a high bar. And he goes on, and he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear that sucker out and throw it away. And he says, for it's better for you to lose one of your members, one of your body parts, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw that sucker away because it's better for you that you lose one of your body parts than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And what Christ is saying here, he's saying, hey, look, take this seriously. Because hell is serious. Because the consequences of sin are serious. He's saying, do what it takes to cut it out. Y'all, a really good friend, he is sitting in this room. A few years ago, he challenged me in this area. He challenged me, not in the here, he challenged me in the here. And I'm so, so thankful for it. I remember clear as day, we were on the top of a parking lot garage. Um, and he challenged me with this. This was a few years ago, and I'm going to be real, it hasn't been perfect since then. But I'm here to fight. (laughs) I am here to fight. I'm here swinging, and look, the fight is worth it, and I want to tell you that purity is possible. Don't let anybody tell you anything otherwise. Don't believe anything otherwise. Purity in Christ is possible. He scoots on over to divorce in the next one, and y'all, divorce rates are already really high and pitiful and so, so sad. I come from a home of divorce, the rates are at like fifty percent outside of the church and inside of the church, and people try to justify divorce on whatever means, and people get divorced for all kind of all kind of wild things. But there's only two reasons of divorce that I see biblically, and it's one is sexual morality, and the, and the other is if you're married to a non-believer and they leave you. Yeah, God comes in, Christ comes in, and He. He takes marriage incredibly seriously. He says, furthermore, like we're supposed to be incredibly devoted to our spouses. We're to seek to love them uh, above our own, (laughs) above ourselves, put their interests before our own, to die to ourselves for the sake of their holiness. He comes in and he says, this is my standard. Um, He gets into oaths, and the next one he says, When it comes to making promises to the Lord, don't swear falsely. You've heard that it was said, when it comes to making promises to the Lord, don't swear falsely, but do unto the Lord what you've sworn. I think that makes sense, right? If you promise the Lord that you're going to do something, he's saying, do it. But Jesus comes in and says, I say to you, don't take oaths at all. You ever hear those people say, Lord, I promise I ain't doing that ever again. Like, I put that on God. Uh, And what Jesus is simply saying here is, he says... Don't swear by heaven. That's the throne of God. That's not your throne. How are you going to swear by heaven? He says, don't swear by the earth, for that's his footstool. That's not yours. That's where he rests his feet. How are you going to swear by the earth? And he says, don't swear to Jerusalem or by Jerusalem, the holy city. He's talking to the Jews. He says, that's the city of the king. Basically, what he's saying here is you're not in control of anything. And he says, furthermore, just be a man or be a woman of your word. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's saying, look, you will wanna have the, uh, the character that if someone says, oh, look, I know Kara. If Kara said she'll do something, it'll be done. My like point blank period. That's what Christ is saying. Be a man of your word, be a woman of your word. We got two more. Um, the next one, the next one's hard. It says, he's talking about retaliation. And Christ comes in and he says, you've heard that it was said. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and they were serious back in the day if you stole something they would they would really chop your, your hand off throw it away um, and that's a high bar right but you know what my mom taught me with this my mom was a Swedish lady you know what she taught me she said if anyone hit you at school son and she would bring me in real close she said Anthony if anyone hit you at school You hit him back. (laughs) My mom was a gangster. She really was. Uh, That's what what my mom taught me. But Jesus, on the other hand, was not like my mom. Jesus said, do not resist the one who is evil. If someone hits you on the cheek, Jesus says, turn and offer the other. If someone steals your favorite shirt, Jesus says, give to them them your favorite sweater. This is my favorite sweater. That would be hard. Uh, Jesus says, hey, give to the one who begs from you. Don't refuse the one that would borrow from you. And this is our last one. It's love your enemies. And this one I don't think is a law. I tried to find it in the Bible and I couldn't, so I think Jesus is simply addressing tradition. But he said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that it was said, sorry. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus comes in and he says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Just three short years after this is when, for these people, for the Jews that are listening and that believed, these are the ones, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those words meant different things. These are the ones that were, hey, those that are imprisoning you for your faith, love them. Those that are burning your houses down for your faith, love them. Hey, hey, the one that killed your husband for his faith. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And in the words right after that, Jesus says, so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Jesus says, don't retaliate. He says, furthermore, love those who can't love you back. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what good is that anybody can do that? His bar is higher. He says, love those who can't love you back. And then Christ wraps up with this and this is where we'll finish. After saying all of this, Jesus goes back to that spiritual competence question. The very next verse is Jesus says, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And he's quoting Peter, or Peter quotes this as well from the Old Testament in Leviticus where God says, you must be holy for I am Holy. And I propose, I'm putting before you that he says these things for two reasons. It's another reminder that it can't be done. It can't be done. We can't be perfect in this reminder that, hey, but he is. And I would say the second one is a call, it's a call to strive on for holiness. If Christ Jesus made you his own because Christ Jesus made you his own. And so I say that those are the two reasons Perhaps that Jesus put this before them. It's a reminder that we can't be perfect, but that he is and a call to strive on to holiness because Christ made us his own. But what do we do when we're not? What do we do when we fall back into that same imperfection, when we go back to the same issues, back to the same sin? What do we do? We remember, again, we remember who is perfect. We confess our sins to God and to one another, to the believers, and we turn away from that sin and turn back to God, to the one who is faithful and just to heal us. We look to Jesus. We look to the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and in looking to Jesus, we lay aside every weight and sin that easily entangles us, and we run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, without Christ, every iota, every dot of the law has your name on it to fulfill. And that's absolutely impossible. Apart from Christ spiritually we can't even perform the simplest of tasks. Spiritually we're incompetent. We're utterly incompetent to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds and all our strengths. All our strength. But, guys, when we believe, when we believe in Christ, when we believe we are given the right to become children of God and are given all that we need to actually follow Him and walk with Him and enjoy Him and obey Him. And for those that believe that this is true, follow we must. I'll pray. God, we come to you now, God, and I praise you that you sent us, your son, to die the death that we deserve to die, that you sent us, your son, to fulfill the law, fulfill all righteousness, and now in him, in Christ, we have been given the right to become children of God when we believe. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that you would show us all that we are utterly incompetent to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. But Lord, would you show us who has done that perfectly. God, we praise you for the righteousness of Christ. You look at us and you don't see our imperfection. When we're in Christ, you see his righteousness. And Lord, I do pray for us all that we would walk in your rules and your statutes that we would obey you and follow you and enjoy you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.